Welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm Josh Spector, and I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If this is your first time listening or watching, thanks for your interest. This podcast exists to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. Here's how it works. In each episode, a different guest comes on and asks me three questions. We have about a 10-minute conversation about each of them, and that's it. No fluff. We get right into it. Hopefully, lots of actionable tips and strategies that uh, helps the guest as well as you to grow your audience and business. Speaking of guests, today my guest is Tatiana Figueredo. Tatiana is a community business strategist and the founder of The Business of Community. She helps creators start and scale profitable online businesses that increase belonging and connection in the world. She also writes a free newsletter for community leaders, and you can sign up on our website at businessofcommunity.co. And I have to also say, I was checking out her site before this show, and not only do I think it's really good, but I think her, we're going to talk a lot about her product and audience and monetization and all of that today. And I thought her sales page was really good in description of her product and all of it's really much more clear than most people's. So I was impressed and I'm excited to talk to her. With that in mind, hey, Tatiana, welcome to the show. Thank you, Josh. Thanks so much for having me. It's the perfect time to have this conversation for me. (laughs) Oh, cool. Why is that? I feel like we're at a point where like we've reached a place where we can like really grow and that's the end of the year. And I'm really thinking about how to focus that growth next year. And the one thing I learned is that the newsletter is a place that I want to at least to try to make that our main channel really Mm -hmm. enjoy writing it and i really it's been successful so far Uh, so thinking about we've built a product that works pretty well and now Mm -hmm. thinking about growing it and using the newsletter to to grow it so i've been thinking a lot about it and it's fun to get to talk about it i love talking about all that stuff so i'm excited (laughs) and let's get into it let's start with what is the first thing you want to know Okay. My first question is, can breaking out of your like very specific niche be a path to growth? So usually in the newsletter, I write to a very specific audience and it's the people who are eventually hopefully going to buy the course and join the community. And that product is for someone who is very specific. It's a person who is building a community business. And one of the, I have other ideas about things to write though. I thought about writing things that are applicable to people who are, that are broader than just the people who would buy the expensive thing we sell. And I wonder what you think about that as a strategy for growth. Like hopefully that post would go a little further and then bring new people into the newsletter. Sure. So let's, I've checked out your site, but I'm curious to hear from you and also other people who may not be familiar and know what you're doing. Tell me a little bit about what your main product is, who your main, who you, your target audience is for that product, what the newsletter currently covers, and then what you're thinking of potentially the broader version being. So give me a, a crash course and all that. Yeah. So we sell a course and a community experience that is a year long and it's just under $2,000. And it's for people who are building what I call community businesses. Their community is like the core of the product that they're building. So memberships, cohort-based courses, evergreen courses where community is a big part of what they're doing, sometimes group coaching programs. So any of those where they want to make community like the center of their offer and what they sell. And it's a year-long program. And 
Usually the people who are joining are either at the beginning of their journey, they've tried some stuff and now they're like looking to growing or they're starting from scratch and they just, we go through the community experience piece, the finding a business model and then growing that. Um, and the newsletter speaks to that pretty specifically and- Speaks to, when you say it speaks to that, meaning it speaks to- starting a paid community or kind of early stage of a paid community, whether you're starting or you just started, but that's what the newsletter is focused on, correct? Yep. Okay. And the product, so it, you said it's a course and community. How does that play out? Is the course the beginning part of it? Is the course, I imagine the course isn't running over 12 months. I imagine, but you tell me, what is, how does the sort of course community play out over the course of the year? Yeah, it's just one thing when, we started, it was a cohort-based course that would like, you come in during a cohort, you take the cohort for four weeks, and then you have a year of community support total in the uh -huh. community. And now a lot of the lessons are pre-recorded. That's part, that's what's going to allow us to grow more next year. Also, it's going to be more of an evergreen So it's uh, like an on-demand. So it's almost like it's resources, right? So basically you buy into this community, you get access to this collection of resources and you're in this community to connect with other people. It's really they're buying a community that also comes with resources versus they're buying a course that comes with community. Semantics, yeah. but important. Sometimes I, sometimes I lead with the course because if you lead with the course, I find that you can, the higher price, you can justify the higher price point a little bit gotcha. better than if you lead with the community and people are like, oh, communities are $10 a month. Right. Gotcha. Okay. And tell me about the concept of broadening out the content or what you cover in your newsletter to theoretically attract more people. What would be in your mind, like what is broadening? Like what, where would you go beyond where you're currently going in terms of content? Yeah. So there are people like you, for example, mm -hmm. you run a community, but community is not a, the core of your business. You run like a creator business and like community is a part of what you do. Yep. So part of it is like thinking of people like that, who community is like a part of what they do, but it's not like the core of everything you do. Like mm -hmm. one way of thinking about it, there's also like more like thought leadershipy pieces that are like, I just had a thread on Twitter about what's happening on Twitter and how that relates to online community and thinking more broadly, of like things that are like not directly helpful, but maybe are like making commentary on something broader that way. Mm -hmm. And then a whole, another direction is exploring like connection and like making friends and almost like speaking to the members of the people that of the communities that are in the community and like almost building an audience of the almost like a B2C audience of the people who are in the community, the customers of the people who are in the community. Okay. So and those so, are like just some direction. Right. No, that makes sense. And so I always like to start with your end goal and work backward. So the yeah. idea, I assume, is you're looking for ways to increase revenue. Ideally, my guess, I could be wrong, but my assumption is you wouldn't even be thinking about broadening your audience if you felt like, oh, there's plenty of people that I can get into this $1,800 a year community that I already have. You're thinking of broadening because you're wondering in some level 
are there enough people out there? Would it be easier to broaden and bring people in? That's the concern. Because if you felt like there's plenty of people, the target audience is big enough, then I don't know that you necessarily would be broadening unless you just want to broaden out and talk about more things. So part of it is the community can't grow that fast and get the results that people are looking mm -hmm. for. Some of it is can't grow that fast. It can grow, but not as fast as I think the rest of it can right. potentially grow. So that's part of it. And it's also, if I write about broader stuff, then more people will see it and hopefully those people will share it and then it'll mm. reach more of the audience with the core product. Do you, and there's no right or wrong answer to this and your answer will probably change and evolve over time. But right now, when you think about it, do you envision, right now you have sort of one main product for this audience. Do you envision having multiple products for slightly different audiences, more products for this audience? Do you envision yourself expanding horizontally or just vertically, or you're not sure? I'm not sure. My my gut is to keep it the one product. Like one of my other questions is, is about adding another product, but almost yeah. in service to the bigger yep. thing. Yeah. Okay. We'll get to that in a second. So let me give you... Let me give you a few thoughts. And let me preface this by saying, like, you can succeed broadening. You can succeed by not broadening. Like, it's not like you need to find the right answer. Either one can work. So really what I'm going to talk about is some things for you to think about to hopefully help you think through and get some more clarity on kind of which path you want to go down. So one thing I would say is that if you go broader, a couple things. If you go broader, the bigger your community gets, the paid community, forget content for a second, but the bigger the paid community gets and the broader topically the community gets with people coming in, it can dilute some of that experience because people are in there for different reasons. So that's just one thing. It's not a reason not to do it, but it's one thing to keep in the back of your head of like, I might need to be careful here. It can also dilute the clarity of your messaging overall. One of the things that you know I liked about your website is it's really pretty clear on who you're for and who you're not for. And I think that's a big strength. If you start to, in content and newsletters and everything, talk about a million different things, it becomes a little more muddied and people aren't as clear of what do they go for, go to you for, especially in terms of payment and whatever, right? You start to become a little more like a lot of other people that are serving creators and that kind of stuff. So that's, again, something to be careful of. As far as reaching this broader audience with the assumption that there's a percentage of them that are a great fit for you, right? You do an article about thought leadership and maybe 20% of those people you're relevant to, 80% you're not, like, okay, that's great. What I would start with, as opposed to you creating that kind of different content, I would look for ways to do cross promotions or paid promotions with people who have that audience. So I would go to the person who's the thought leadership expert. Maybe they have a thought leadership course, whatever it is. And I would go to them and I would say, hey, I do this specialty over here. You're the thought leadership guru. Let's promote each other's stuff because you'll still get that 20% without having to dilute your own content messaging, without having to bring in and attract this thought leadership crowd. Just go where they are, right? And you can do that for free in some cases with cross promote, at least as a starting point to see what happens. And you might realize, wow, this thought leadership thing, like it's higher than 20% who are interested in my stuff. It's 
70% and maybe I should go down that road. But I think that would be a good place to start to get basically the benefits without the downsides of you having to create all this content and you having to change your messaging and newsletter and whatever. And if you do that, you can pick almost infinite numbers of niches, right? For example, mm -hmm. you could, and I'm not selling ads, I am selling ads in my newsletter, but I'm not saying this to sell an ad in my <laughs> newsletter. There's lots of people in my audience who are going to listen to this and are going to be interested. And by the way, you can also go on podcasts and that kind of thing, right? There's lots of people in my audience who are going to be interested in what you do. It's a shortcut for you to get to my audience through appearing on my podcast, through buying an ad, through a cross promotion, through whatever. That's a shortcut for you as opposed to having to go talk about how to grow your newsletter, or any of the things that I talk about. So I think if I were you, that's where I would start if you're thinking about broadening. Because ultimately it's about, like you're really broadening, not, yes, you may have some passion about, I want to talk about X, Y, and Z thing, but really the reason you're broadening is to get to those as a way to surface more, more good leads. So that's where I would start probably if I were you. The other thing I would say is this idea that you're looking for the potential, potential people who would buy your $1,800 product. I always think about it in terms of, you're actually looking for people that want the transformation that your product helps them make. And your newsletter mm -hmm. should be about that transformation. It's much easier to understand who wants a transformation than it is to understand who's willing to pay for a product that helps get that transformation. Because the truth is, there's lots of people who they themselves don't think they'd ever buy your product. But after they read your newsletter about that transformation for a couple months, suddenly they're like, I got to buy this from. So I would be focused in terms of your own sort of target audience assessment of this is the transformation my product helps people make. All of my content, my newsletter is a free version of helping people make that transformation. Mm -hmm. And so with that in mind, one of the things that's interesting, and I'm going to jump into, I was looking at your sales page for your product, and then I was looking at your newsletter sign-up. And alignment and messaging is really important. So for anyone that's listening, I'm going to buildacommunitybusiness.com, which is your product sales page. Mm -hmm. The headline says, nurture and scale the community business you were always meant to build. A year-long course plus ongoing community experience for thoughtful community leaders design an engaging community experience and grow a profitable business that increases connection for your members and for you. And then it goes on with a million other details, but that's the headline. Then your newsletter sign up, which is on businessofcommunity.co. The headline is become a better community, community business leader, a weekly email about the hows and whys of building small businesses that are engines for real connection and belong. So those are somewhat aligned, but they're also not aligned, right? So one is nurture and scale the community business you are always meant to build. The other is become a better community business leader. If you cut to the chase, the transformation is, I'm going to help you make money by having a community that serves your audience. And point A to point B, which is what transformation is all about, is point A is either you don't have a community that is serving and making money, or you've just started one and it's not quite working. And point B is you have a community that's really helping your audience and really making you money. That messaging, I certainly don't think is in the newsletter sign up, and I'm not sure it's mm -hmm. as clear as it could be on the sales page. Nurture and scale the community business you were always meant to build 
is not the same as build a community that serves your audience and makes you money. It doesn't have to be that crass, but that, but that's the point. And whatever you come up with for that, the, the newsletter should reinforce that. They should almost be the same language. It's just one's a free newsletter helping you get that transformation. And the other is this bigger product helping you get that transformation. Because when you do that, everyone that signs up for the newsletter is saying, I want this transformation. They're way more likely to buy. The other mm-hmm. thing on the newsletter side, the headline, become a better community business leader, suggests you're already a community business leader. But a lot when of your you were people- were saying that, I was thinking that. <laughs> right. A lot of people are just starting, right? Yeah. So if I don't have a community and I see a headline, this is going to teach me how to be a better community business leader, I'm probably going, I don't have a community, I'm out, right? This isn't for me. So those little things, those little copy things, and especially that alignment between newsletter and ultimate product can help with everything, can help with your newsletter content, can help with the signups and the conversions and and all of that stuff. To sum up, that's where I would start, right? I would make sure that you get really clear on the product pitch, that the newsletter is literally almost promising the same thing, just delivered in a different way. You're looking for people that want this transformation, not trying to guess who can afford it or not. And then to find those people, you're at least initially looking for other people that have those sort of ancillary related audiences. Podcasters would be great. If I were you, I'd be going to find, again, whether it's paid advertising or reaching, going to somebody that has a newsletter that, you know, 5,000 podcasters read and give them messaging about you are missing opportunities to serve your audience and monetize your community. Mm. You're just tailoring the same transformation. I'd go to someone that, you know, has an audience of public speakers, you know, or authors, right? You have a book, you're missing an opportunity to better serve your community. That same phrase that you come up with can then be applied all these different niches and you can reach those people by going to the people that already have those audiences as opposed to going the sort of hard long route of like, all right, how am I going to attract podcasters? I better do a blog post about podcasters. You can do that, but I think there's a shorter, easier way to do it, at least to start. Does that all make sense? Cool. Yeah. I'm getting really excited about this. This (laughs) It's really helpful to hear it from a different angle. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Now I'm the same way. Like I do these podcasts and I'm always like, I wish I could give myself these advice because I, it's funny. I remember a while ago, I looked at my newsletter signup page and realized literally like four years into writing it that I didn't even say on the page that it was a newsletter. And I was like, well, that's not great. I'm talking to everyone else about the clarity of their stuff. Meanwhile, I don't even tell people what they're signing up for. So anyway, let's, uh, let's jump to your second question. What is the next thing you want to know? Yeah. So I think we just talked about how people find the newsletter. And this one is like one level down. So what are the some of the best examples of lead magnets or incentives that you've seen for people to to join an email list? Sure. Non-gibbity. I'm going to start with, I'm not going to dodge the question. I am going to answer it. But I'm going to start with a little mini rant about lead magnets. So in general, I am not a big fan of lead magnets for newsletters. And backing up a second, I consider newsletters and email marketing to be two different things that in my mind, a newsletter is designed to provide value to an audience. Email marketing is designed to extract value from an audience. 
email marketing is spent sporadically usually and designed to lead to and pitch a specific product, whereas a newsletter kind of is the product itself. The irony is a newsletter is probably the strongest form of email marketing that exists. So there is overlap, but when it comes to lead magnets, I don't mind them for email marketing where I'm not going to be sending you a newsletter forever. I'm just trying to surface leads and I'm going to pretty quickly over a sequence of one or two emails or whatever, try to drive you to a sale or a something because that you're just like, get me an email address. If I'm trying to grow, like I don't use new lead magnets for my newsletter because I think a lot of times you get people that sign up because they want the lead magnet. They don't actually want the newsletter. Yeah. The other thing I think is in most cases, if you, most league magnets aren't actually that good, which is the other problem. But if you create a league magnet that actually really is amazing, you should want as many people to see it and hiding it behind an email address leads to fewer people seeing it. If your lead magnet's mm. really great, you want everybody to see it. You want them to be able to share it. You'll reach way more people. And within that lead magnet, you plug your newsletter and you'll get, ultimately you'll get more subscribers and there'll be more valuable subscribers because they were like, wow, this article, this resource, this whatever was amazing. Now I want the newsletter, much higher quality versus a lot of people are like, I'm not giving my email address for something. She's just going to spam me with a million things afterwards and whatever. So- yeah. So in general, I think, and a lot of times when you see people, they're like, oh, I have this lead magnet and it's going great. And it's, yeah, but a month later, how many of those people are still around? How many of them opened your emails? How many of them gave you a fake email address just to get the lead magnet? Like, I think a lot of it can be fool's gold. That said, that rant aside, it doesn't mean that they don't work. A lead magnet can get you more email addresses and more subscribers. It can get you more leads and more business. So I have my doubts about them and sometimes think, again, if you have something really good that you should want as many people as possible to see it, but that doesn't mean they, they can't work. That said, if you're going to do it, I do think you want to be clear what people are signing up for right? So that they're going to get the newsletter, even if you do it in their, hey, here's your resource, by the way, would you like to get my newsletter moving forward? Or you're going to get my newsletter moving forward. If you don't want it, just opt out here. Make it easy for people who don't want it to get out of it. Because otherwise, even if they stick, you're sending a bad message and about their trust with you and that kind of thing. Now, all that aside, if you're going to use a lead magnet, a few tips, what I think is the best way to go. And then we'll talk specifically about yours. So one is, I think a big mistake people make is they try their attempt to make their lead magnet seem really valuable becomes really bloated. No one wants a hundred page book. No one wants a three-hour video, right? They're like, well, look how valuable it is. And I'm giving it to you just for an email address. No, go the opposite route. Make it extremely simple, actionable, and something that gives people an easy, quick win. That's the best thing you can do. They're more likely to download it to give you their email address because no one's like, I don't, I'm not going to read this ebook like for, for 40 pages. But like, oh, it's a one-page thing. I'll look at that. Yeah, I want to see that templates, resources, something they can use, not just information, but something they can use and do really quickly. Ideally, that something would also be something that helps them take a step that gets them closer to the product you offer. Like, so it should be related. For example, this may not be quite right, but this is an example of sort of that alignment. If you had a lead magnet that was a questionnaire or a quiz or a thing, 
that helps someone figure out whether or not they're ready to have their own community or gives them a score of how likely a community is to succeed, right? Mm -hmm. Think BuzzFeed, think curiosity, the person that's out there and going, maybe I should have a community, maybe I shouldn't. Oh, I can answer these 20 questions from this community expert. And she's going to come back at me and say, you have a 70% chance of succeeding or you have a 20% chance you should do X, Y, and Z to get to that place or whatever. And that person that gets that and says, oh, I did this thing. And she says, based on my answers, I have an 85% chance of succeeding. And here's why. Now they're way more interested in your product, in your newsletter, because they're like, yeah, I was right. I should be looking into this, that kind of thing. So that's an example of, it's a little obtuse, but it's an example of the alignment of lead magnet leading directly into your other stuff versus a lead magnet that's just like 20 examples of great thought leaders websites or whatever, like how to write your about page. Like that's fine, but that's, even if it's really good, it's not directly leading into where you ultimately want them to go. So you want to think about it in terms of small, quick wins that you can give someone, things they'd be curious enough about to go, I got to give my email address because I want to see this, right? Something that seems unique. An example, and again, I don't use lead magnets, but this is something I did that would probably work really well as a lead magnet. I wrote a blog post about pin tweets and it include examples of like great pin tweets and what to do with your pin tweet. If I had a newsletter or product that was solely about Twitter growth, I could do it on my own. But if it was solely about Twitter growth, that would be a great lead magnet because I could give people a one page thing that says, hey, you can look at this thing. You're going to see 20 creative uses of things that people are doing with their pin tweets. You're going to get some tips on how to create yours. You give me your email address, you get this one page thing. And five minutes later, you've changed your pin tweet. And you that's what I mean about actionable quick win versus you compare that to, I'll give you my 40 page Twitter growth ebook. And I'm going to spend the first 20 pages talking about what it takes to grow on Twitter. And that's just not the same thing, right? Simple and easy. The other thing is ultimately your products. And the other reason why this is important is ultimately a big part of the friction that prevents people from buying products and services, even if they like it, even if it's selling what they want, even if it seems really good, even if they trust you, they go, ah, this seems like a lot of work. So if you yeah. and the lead magnet have shown them I'm not wasting your time with a bunch of nonsense. This is going to be quick and simple and easy. And look, you just did something. It plants in their mind. That's how you operate and starts to make them assume that that product's not going to be overwhelming and whatever. That product is also going to be not a ton of work. It removes some of that friction. One of the reasons in this podcast, I start off and say every episode and when I came up with the concept, like the whole no fluff, actionable, we're going to get right into it is because I want people to know we're not going to spend the first 30 minutes talking about what you did in kindergarten. I'm sure it's fascinating, but like no one cares. They want to know what you know or what advice I have to you. Let's get into it. And so I think the lead magnet can set the tone for that. With all that in mind, do you have any lead magnets that you're either using or thinking of using? Or something pop I've into mind? I don't have any on the site right now, mm -hmm. but if I do a workshop for another community, for example, sometimes they'll create a page 
that if people sign up on that page, they'll get like access to a workshop that goes deeper into whatever topic I was talking about. And I've done like these custom pages for whatever community I spoke at that their members can go there. And then that's something that lives in that community that whenever they see that page, want to sign up, they have an extra incentive to sign up for the list. Yeah. And I would think about, as you're thinking about this, I would think about in your course, in your community, in your interactions with people, because you have the advantage of it's already up and running and you've dealt with lots of people. I'm sure you know the things that people on the inside are always like, oh my God, that was so amazing. Like that changed how I thought about this, or I was able to do that. Think about the things that you get the strongest feedback for. And if there are some of them that are like, oh, I could easily turn that into, again, if you're going to do a lead magnet, look for the stuff that you know really resonates with people on the inside of the product and the ways that you can sort of translate that or turn a piece of that into a lead magnet really easily. So you're not just guessing and going, oh, I think people would want this. You go, no, everybody that sees my list of how to do whatever, always loves it. And it always, most importantly, like they act on it, they do it, it's quick, it's easy, and it gives them, again, it can be a really small win, but something that people can feel like, I gave her my email address, she gave me this thing, I did it, and 24 hours later, that's why I use the pin tweet example, right? Because it's really basic. And 24 hours later, you go, I have a better pin tweet than I had before. And even if it's not better, I at least feel like I'm being smarter about it and I'm being strategic and know what I'm doing. And that's a really good, powerful feeling for people because that's part of what they're ultimately buying from you down the road. Yeah, that was a helpful reframe for me. And I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about it a little differently after this mm-hmm. conversation. I think it could be because I the newsletter I also basically post whatever I send in the email as a blog post on the mm-hmm. site. So it's all there. And that is something that people find like through SEO or through other people linking to it. And I could see like a, a lead magnet, but something, a resource that is within a post mm-hmm. goes deeper into something or is like an easier way for you to implement the thing that the post is talking about. And then the person's already reading it. So it's not like a random person that just wants to download a thing. Like they're, yep. they're interested in the newsletter because they were just reading a post from it. Yeah. And here, here's way. another example. And I don't know that this a hundred percent fits with what you do and what you teach, but just hypothetically, right? If part of what you teach is how to help community leaders get engagement from their community in their posts, you could go, Hey, yeah. here's a cheat sheet of 10 proven like templates for questions you can ask that'll drive engagement. So for the people that already have communities, you go, all right, I'm gonna download these 10 questions. And tomorrow I'm gonna post one of these questions in my group. And again, assuming the stuff is good, they're gonna go, oh, holy shit, everybody's suddenly engaging. She knows what she's talking about. I should do more of this. So that might be an example of a sort of simple thing that that you could do. Yeah, cool. cool. So let's let's get to your last question. What is the third thing you wanna know? So the third thing is, how would you go about another revenue stream that requires less investment for people, mm-hmm. both in their time? This is like a year-long commitment to be in the community. Like thinking about changing it to be quarterly, but for now mm-hmm. it's a year-long community, yep. year-long community experience. So what's like a, a, how to think about adding another tier that is like less investment time-wise for them and mm-hmm. also financially yeah, at the step hopefully to them buying that or right. also just another revenue stream. So let me ask you a couple of questions first. So right now is the only product yeah. you offer the $1,800 annual course 
or do you have other things you offer as well? I do consulting with that. Okay. Yeah. But from a product standpoint, it's basically that. Okay. Yeah. Do you have people, and I think there probably is, but I'm just curious, why do you think there's an opportunity here? Or do you think there's an opportunity here? It sounds like you do. Why do you think there's an opportunity here for a lower price thing? Are people telling you something? Are they telling you what they want? Are there people saying, oh, I don't want to commit to a year? Like in just casual conversations with either buyers or non-buyers, are you picking up on anything that they're saying to you? Or is this more just sort of your hunch that there's an opportunity there? Yeah, it's a little bit of a hunch, but it also, yep. yeah, that people who end up not joining the course, like people who apply and then decide yep. not to join, often they're saying like, oh, I don't have time to do this or I'm doing some other That's the friction program. we talked about with it seems like a lot of work. Yeah. Or yeah. a lot of time. That's the friction. Yeah. So it's like, because it, it is a lot of work, like you are. Yeah. They're like deciding to build this kind of business. That can be... I don't know, bad's not the right word, but it can be a bad or for us. It can be a negative or it can be a positive, right? Because the truth is the people that are going, oh, this sounds like a lot of work, chances are they weren't going to do what it takes to succeed anyway. So it might be yeah. better that it's scaring them. Like the fact that it's scaring them off isn't necessarily a bad thing, even though it may financially seem like it's a bad thing. But ultimately you want the people that pay you to get the results. And I've found that over the years just with individual consulting clients where I've gotten much better at going, this person's not going to do this. And like, I don't want to take and have them not do it, right? But that's not necessarily a bad thing. When people, the people who are buying, do you think, and it's interesting because I know you said the positioning of it, people are maybe more willing to pay more money for a course than a community. So there, there's a messaging component of it. But do you think most people are buying for the course or the community? Like, what do you think is the stronger draw to the people that buy? I think it's, shifting little by little. I think mm -hmm. it's more the course and then shifting towards the community. And I hope that it will. Okay. And again, we're going to throw suggestions out at you, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, you should do it this way or that way. But one thing you could certainly think about is you go, you know what, I'm going to have a high price. I'm going to have a high price course and my low price product's going to be the community. If you feel like, so that would be an entry, again, you might have to rejigger how you do some things, and I'm not suggesting necessarily doing this, but that would be one easy way without creating additional work for yourself to go, I'm going to open this community up to more people. I'm going to pull the course out of it, right? And so you can pay X amount to get the course and the community, or you can just come into our community, start to learn some stuff. Maybe that makes them more likely to ultimately get the course. So that would be one really basic, simple way to do this. Another thing to think about, and I did not create this, and I've heard different people say different versions of it, but when it comes to products and pricing, there's this concept called the value ladder. There's no specific numbers, but the example I heard was basically a 10x increase between each price. So if you're Court, if your big product right now is eighteen hundred, you'd have some product at one hundred and eighty, and you might even have a product at eighteen dollars. And then your consulting might be whatever. You'd have a higher end, eighteen thousand, but that might not be a one time thing. It might be eighteen thousand over a few months or whatever it is, right? But you would wind up with eighteen dollars, one hundred and eighty, eighteen hundred, eighteen thousand. The numbers don't really matter. But that 10x is an interesting sort of model as you think about, so because then your question becomes, and even if you were only going to add one, right, your question becomes, all right, what would I sell for 180? And if you did split the community off separate, you might go, the community's 180, the course is 1800. I don't, 1800 is the course with the community, whatever. 
So from a pricing standpoint, in terms of you're thinking about like, where would this land? That's one way to think about it. Not that you need to have four or five different products, but that can be a way to think about where you're doing this. The big thing I would think about is if you're going to add a product and a lower price product, you want to be careful that you don't undercut your main product. So there has to be a clear differentiation and it has to be obvious who the higher price product is for versus the lower price product. And not just in terms of features, this has X, Y, and Z, this has the course and the community, whatever, but more importantly, the benefits. How will buying the higher price version get me a bigger result than buying the lower price product? So you really want to differentiate those because otherwise you go, what you don't want to do is you don't want to wind up in a place where the only difference between the higher price and the lower price is the higher one's better or more time or more stuff, but it's going to get you the same result. So the question becomes, what are the different results? And setting aside price points for a second, one product might be, however it's delivered, one product might be geared towards starting a community from scratch. You don't have one, you're going to start one. Another product might be you have a community and it's not really working or you want to revamp it or you want to whatever. There's a difference between start, I'm separating the difference between starting a community and growing a community. Yeah. And then that's price wise, you'd have to figure that out. But that's what I mean about differentiation of products. It's differentiation of results and places people are in their journey. Another important question to ask yourself as you think about products and again, I do, I definitely think there's opportunity there. I think just the key is like, why are these different? Who are they for? How is the result different? You don't want to just go, oh, this one, you get community and all that other stuff. And the other, you just watch some videos by yourself. Because if you do that, one of two things is true. Either the videos by themselves aren't enough for me to get the result, which means that product's not good. Yeah. Or they are enough, which means the other one's overpriced because I don't really need it because I can just watch the videos. Yeah. So much better to have them be doing different things. The other thing I would say is whatever you're going to do, if you're going to create another product, even if it's relatively low touch and it's you put a little time to create it and then it's on demand or whatever, it's still going to require an investment of time. So let's say hypothetically, it's a 50, this is a random number, but let's say it's a 50 hour investment. The question to ask yourself is, will you get more from investing that 50 hours in building and launching and selling a new lower price product or investing that same 50 hours to get and or retain more members in your main product. And if your main product is from a pure revenue standpoint, if it's generating 10x what your lower product is, you need significantly more sales. That 50 hours needs to generate 10 times as many lower price sales as it would of the higher price. And that's not to discourage you from doing it because, again, I do think you have one product that's pretty high priced and you are probably leaving some opportunity on the table. But it's to think through really the opportunity cost of building it and launching it and that kind of stuff. The other thing is to look at are there revenue opportunities on the table within your newsletter, within other things that you're doing, whether it be advertising or sponsorship. Here's another example, right? If you took that 50 hours and instead of creating a new product, invested 50 hours in doing affiliate deals with people who could help sell and promote your thing for a cut, would that ultimately be better for your business than a new product, which you have to create and sell and promote and message and all that other stuff? I don't know. I think what your core question of, am I leaving opportunity on the table 
You probably are. Does that have to be a lower price product? It could be. Doesn't necessarily have to be. I think that's where you want to think through really what that would be. A couple more things here. Ideally, though, if you do a lower price product, it would get people to the point where the higher price product makes sense. Yeah. So if the higher price product is here's how you're going to grow your thing and the lower price product is here's how to start a community, that makes sense, right? They buy the lower price thing, they start their community, and now they really want to grow it and whatever. There's an alignment and connection there. The other thing I was thinking about is, and I touched on this a little bit before, your product right now is relatively for beginners, right? They're either just starting a community or they started it, but they're still trying to get it up and growing. But there might be a whole other audience of people whose communities are stalled or outdated. You know, yeah. They've been doing it for a while. Could you create a product that's a like community jumpstart or restart? or an audit or a troubleshooting, turn your community around. Is your community getting stale? Community refresh. There's a whole audience of community people that maybe you haven't really addressed yet that you might even be able to repackage some of your beginner starter growing advice, but just tailor it a little bit to the people whose communities have gone stale. So that's another mm -hmm. angle in. And then the last thing I would say and this is very similar to what I do with my skill sessions. So my skill sessions, for anyone that's listening and wants to check them out, you can go to joshspector.com slash sessions. But basically once every two months, I do a one hour Zoom video workshop presentation where I teach people how to do a specific skill. So one of them was how to get clients. One of them was how to grow your newsletter in five minutes a day, like very sort of specific stuff. And the way I sell them is they're, each one can be bought individually for $50, or you can subscribe to get all six, to get basically everything I've done so far in the archives. So six, because I've been doing it for a year, plus it's a year subscription. So you get the next six for right now, it's $150. It's a pretty good deal because I want the subscription, obviously, more so than the other thing. But both of those things sell. So I have a series of individual products because maybe the person who wants to know how to grow their newsletter doesn't care about getting clients, doesn't care about creating products or other sessions that I've done. So they're not going to subscribe. They're like, I don't, I only care, but I really want this newsletter thing. So they'll buy that. And then other people like a bunch of them and they'll subscribe. So you could very easily create, and again, I only do six a year, so it's not crazy time consuming. And the production of them is literally, I create a PowerPoint presentation and record a video of me walking through it for people. So it's not that time consuming. You could do that. Let's say you did that and you did six of those sort of one-off workshops a year. Your members, your annual members get all those free. So you've created another reason for people to join. Yeah. I'm and already doing that. <laughs> yeah. But are you selling them individually? No. See, there you go. So yeah. if you break some of those off, you may already, and it sounds like you do, already have individual lower price products. And guess what happens? When people watch, the same thing will happen for you as happens for me. They buy one of those sessions, they watch it, they go, wow, that was really good. Now I want to subscribe. Yeah. And I actually, I don't really publicize this much, but I actually offer to refund people's original purchase if they want to upgrade. So if you're yeah. listening to this, you can buy my skill session and then you'll get a thing <laughs> that says, 
hey, I'll give you your $50 back and you can upgrade to the full subscription. So those one-off products become not only a revenue generator for you repurposing what you're already doing, they also become a sales promotion vehicle for your bigger products. Yeah. I'm guessing- Those live? Like you, you yeah, charge for- I do. Well, so here's the, here's the other thing I do. Subscribers get to attend live and there's Q&A. So I do them live. People come on, they get to ask questions at the end, give them some specific help and stuff. So that's another perk of being a subscriber versus just buying the one-off video on demand. But yeah, so you could absolutely do that and think about how much easier it is to get someone to buy your $1,800 membership after they've watched a workshop you did that was really good. What's interesting is so many people that do that, there's nothing wrong with sharing free excerpts, but if you have it as a relatively low price The kind of person that's ever going to consider buying an $1,800 subscription to you or membership, they're not going to balk at $50 for a topic that's interesting to The people are going to go, I'm not paying $50 for that. They were never going to buy from you anyway, right? I know. So yeah, so that's, I would look at stuff you already have in there. And what's nice about that is you don't have to do anything. You set up a sales page. Yeah, I'm hoping I could do something like that. I was also thinking about something you said earlier, like niching down the audience and creating these resources for them. So like you mentioned, like podcasts and like podcasters who are are starting a community or coaches who are going from one-on-one to group coaching and like how they should think about community and doing that as I could even do a live workshop to just to see yep. how that goes and see who and shows up it. and then sell do it. Do a live workshop, tape it. And if it's good, turn around and sell it. I love that yeah. because the other thing is if you want to get to where you're running Facebook ads or paid promotion or whatever, what's great about the building a membership for podcasters, building a membership for newsletter creators, building a membership for thought leaders, building a membership for whatever, is the marketing of that becomes really easy because it's right. poor, it's so hyper-specific to them. And the information won't ultimately be all that different. No, right? there's like little things, but it'll yeah. generally be, yeah. Yeah, so and you're, you're speaking to them. It. And so, yeah, I, to me, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. Hopefully now, other than changing your website and rolling out new products and a million other things, you're well on your way. But ho- hopefully you yeah. found this helpful. I have a year's wor- worth of growth stuff to do now. So it's <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You said in the beginning, this is just in time for planning for next year. So now you've got plenty yeah. of stuff to plan. Awesome. I am looking forward to seeing what you come up with. Tell people who want to check you out, get your newsletter, all that kind of stuff. Let them know where they should go. You can subscribe to the newsletter at businessofcommunity.co. And in there, you'll see a link to the course and the community if you want to learn more about it. Awesome. Cool. And for me, again, my newsletter, fortheinterested.com slash subscribe. That's the best place to start. I do consulting and coaching, joshspector.com slash consulting. I'm on Twitter all the time, at jspector. And if you would like to come on this show and ask me three questions, I would love to chat with you as long as your questions are interesting. You can go to joshspector.com slash questions to submit your questions. And if they're as good as Tatiana's, you'll get an email from me and you'll wind up here speaking to me one of these days. Tatiana, thank you so much. Hopefully this was helpful. I think it's a bunch of stuff we haven't talked about yet. And I know a lot of my people are interested in memberships and that stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if you hear from some of them as well. Thank you. And everyone watching and listening, I will see you next week.